and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Hills here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I... Wow, it went off the rails fast. You just lost it totally. Anyway, here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee, I'm he's one smoke, of your hosts. I'm the Smoke Master General. I'm Trey Dedman. I'm sitting across from a man who the CIA is really curious about those six days he spent in South Korea, Mr. Shane Reeves. Uh, what, it goes, what goes on in South Korea stays in South Korea. Have you been watching Squid Games? No. I think you would dig it. You think, I, I, what's it about? What's it got? So the, the premise is basically a life and death life and death version of kids games. I don't okay. want to like give away too much of the plot or anything like that because it, it, I mean, I didn't know anything going into it. I've only watched the first two episodes, but there's a little bit of a twist involved. Uh, but it's just, it's okay. Is it, does it start out exciting or is it a slow burn? It's a slow burn. Okay. I'm out. Well, no, no, no. It, it picks up first episode. Okay. But the first half of the first episode takes a minute because it's building in the backstory of the main character. I think I'm going to establish a new a new bar in my life. If you ain't got me by the first three episodes, you probably ain't getting me. Oh, well, so the it's it's number one on Netflix right now, and it, it, the memes have been going crazy about it. So finally I was like, okay, I'll check it out. It's kind of in the horror genre, which is normally a, a no-go for me. It's not my thing, but it's more of a... It's more of a thriller than it is a horror movie, at least to this point. Is it gory? Um, not particularly so. Gratuitous nudity? No. Uh, see, none of the, nothing about this is appealing it's, to me from no, your description. It's, it's gory without being gore porn, if that makes sense. Okay. Like it's not, it's not gratuitous gore, but it's definitely not for the faint of heart. But don't have gratuitous nudity. Not that I've seen yet. See, I, I need a little gratuitous nudity if you really want to get me hooked. I, I need to see a little gratuitous nudity. <laughs> I, I can't help. I can't help you with that. But I, I just I was watching that and I go, and they don't reveal they don't reveal the the face at least to this point they haven't revealed the face of the orchestrator of all of this right and so I can just imagine it was you. Oh well. That's possible. <laughs> I did have a little free time last couple of weeks, so things are picking back up now, though, so my squid game time's getting minimized. Yeah. But let's talk about our cigars. Let's do it. I should probably look mine up. Tell me about yours first. So I'm smoking a very special cigar tonight. This cigar came from the Tokyo Olympics. One of my builders is... How did a, it place? And I'll, uh, I don't know. I'll tell you after I smoke <laughs> it. Yeah, I'm not going to give this a one to seven. I'll give it gold, silver, or bronze, or should have stayed home. There you go. <laughs> but... It's actually a Davidoff Winston Churchill limited edition 2019. And all these were pretty rare cigars in this particular size that I have here. Um, the uh, 5x43 Corona. And I'll only release 4,500 packs of five cigars. So there's only 22,500 cigars of these out. And I'm going to smoke one right now. And also this was brought back to me. One of my builders happens to coach one of the Olympic teams. And while he was in Tokyo, he bought a box of these, and him and his son actually smoked one in Alaska after they killed a moose. And he brought me one back, so I'm very grateful to him for bringing me one back and very excited to fire it up. I'm not usually a Davidoff guy, but this recipe um, seems very un-Davidoff, if you'll, uh, if you'll, as you'll hear. So, um, Dominican wrapper, Mexican San Andreas binder, and the... Um, filler is Dominican Criollo Seco, Piloto Mijardo, and San Vicente Majorado. I pronounced all that right. 
and then Nicaraguan, sure. and then some Nicaraguan thrown in for good measure. And also, it's a little more profile and character than what I'm used to seeing coming out of the Davidoff factory. So I'm interested to light this up and all, and just kind of have a very special cigar. I've had it in my kit for a couple of weeks, and all, and we've just been smoking other stuff and hadn't got around to it. So I'm very excited to, to fire this thing up and see what it's going to taste like. Excellent. So, okay, the, the, the bone that you pick with cigar manufacturers all the time is not telling you enough information or telling you too much information, but not the information you want. I've got that problem. I can't find anything about this cigar. This is the new Don Lino from Miami Cigar. Mm-hmm. I've tried. This is the Maduro that I've got here. I've tried looking it up. I can't find anything. It's It exists in an internet black hole, apparently. I've smoked several of those already, and I really, really like them. Not, not to color your opinion. Well, I, I mean, it's got the Don Lino name on it, which should mean good things for me. And then... You know, your review certainly helped me get there. And then the price point being sub eight bucks. I mean, those are all three things really going for it. I wish I knew any of the recipe or could find anything about it. I can't, but we'll see how it goes. Well, the um, the Connecticut version of that is in danger of replacing the Africa as my morning stick. Is that right? Not necessarily because it's a better cigar. Because but it's better it's value as, for dollar? Yeah, it's as good a cigar at a lower price. It's rolled a little tight. And I will, if you, the ends kind of wrapped up, they free up pretty quick. Okay. That is my only complaint about Miami La Aurora and everything that comes out of that factory is that, man, it is so easy to get one that's just rolled so tight. I bought a box of the 107 Nicaraguas recently, and about three quarters of those I really had to sit down and focus on to get draw out of them. You know, my wife got a bad box of Africas. I've never seen a bad box of Africas, but she got a box of Africas now. She likes her draw kind of like I do, very light draw. And these, I wouldn't consider it bad. It's just stiffer than what the Africa usually is and all, because I've took a couple of puffs off of hers. I'm like, yeah, it's it's not a bad draw. It's just a stiffer draw than what you're used to in that cigar. Oh, wow, that has some good flavor to mm-hmm. it. That's almost like aromatic pipe tobacco first first hit. This Winston Churchill is very good. I really, I, the on the front end, you get a lot of profile that I don't usually get out of a Davidoff. This tastes less Davidoffy than any Davidoff I've smoked. So I'm going to be excited to smoke this and see that, how it works out. That's high praise coming from you. Yeah. <laughs> so first article, my favorite thing of the week. I'll go ahead and put my stamp on it. Royals Royce announces $55,000 travel humidor. And all. So Rolls-Royce has built a humidor. And it's every bit as gorgeous as you think it would be. You know, we talked last week about, would you, you know, the, what was the one they were selling in Beirut that was like $24,000, $25,000? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, That you at know, least came with 40 cigars. This doesn't. Well, but... I would hang out with the guy that would buy the Royals Royce $55,000 humidor. Would you? Oh, absolutely. All day long. And uh, because I like that the, the way it holds the cigars, they're each in their own little chute in a tube off on each side. In the middle, it has two glasses. It has a place for a bottle of liquor. It almost looks like a transformer the way it folds out. To me, it looks like it's about to take off. Yeah, yeah, kind of almost an X-wing, mm-hmm. more of an X-wing than a Tie Fighter, mm-hmm. and all. But um, not not to Star Wars nerd out, 
But it does come with an ST DuPont lighter, which Royals is gorgeous. Royce. It comes with an ashtray, which is beautiful, and a cutter, a Royals Royce cutter. So you're really getting a lot for this 55 grand that you're spending. <laughs> yeah, and I like that the it's a it's a DuPont cutter as well, and I've used that cutter before. It's brilliant, or at least one that looks very similar to that. It reminds me a lot of the 007 limited edition line two they did. Right. The, the lighter does. Had the bullet as the turntable. Mm-hmm. Well, this just, I mean, just everything about this looks beautiful, and it's that Rolls-Royce Cuban leather hand-tooled, all of the, you know, all the things you would expect. Yeah, it said Cuban leather in one of those articles. Huh. And I didn't I'll, see that part. Um, but just absolutely beautiful. I mean, so there's very few of these super high-end items that I say, if I won the lottery, I would buy this. If I won the lottery, I'd buy this. So, question then, because this comes up, I'm a big Formula One fan, uh, or I'm getting back, I used to be a huge Formula One fan, I'm getting back into it, and I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine recently about you know, the first piece of you know, uh, um, Formula One merch that we bought, and mine was way back in the day when it, uh, for a team that doesn't even exist anymore. And... You know, there was a there was a time when you could buy, and you probably still can. I just don't see it as much. You know, the Mercedes AMG clothing, or the you know the Ferrari shoes, or the Porsche this and that. This has a little bit of an element of that to me, and I'm curious what your stance is on buying swag from something when you don't own their their flagship product. Like, if you don't own a Rolls Royce, is this a bit Poserish? No, no, I don't think so at all. Um, I think you can support the brand without having, you know, knowing that one day you you might end up owning one. Well, and I think the difference too is like, you know, you're a bit of a tosser if you have a Ferrari T-shirt, but you work minimum wage. You know what I mean? Like that's, it, it's one of those. It's very much a poser that, because the price differential between the T-shirt and the car is so wide and varied. But if you're able to spend 55 grand on a humidor, odds are you probably could afford a Rolls, but just don't. Well, I'm not... So if the Ferrari t-shirt is a top quality t-shirt and it just happens to have Ferrari on it, I'm okay with them owning that. Now, I'm not okay with them taking a standard quality of t-shirt and putting Ferrari on it and somebody buying it. Well, so I don't know if they still do, but they the license for apparel for Ferrari used to be owned by Puma. So it was sort of medium quality made in Sri Lanka. I mean, same as everything else. Right. I w- it would have to be, you know, if it was, it was a superior... It was a $20 t-shirt. Right. You know? Yeah, I wouldn't buy that just for the name. But if it was of superior quality and it happened to have the Ferrari name on it, yeah, it wouldn't bother me. And I think it comes down to an issue of quality. And this is just absolute quality. Oh, for sure. And all just beautiful. So I think, I think personally I'd want to own the car first. Mm, no, I don't know that I would want to own the car. Because if I bought a Rolls, I'd want it to be brand new. Yep. I wouldn't want to buy one used. You know, Why not? Because um, if I'm going to pay that for a car, I want my butt to be the first one in that seat. And all on a regular basis. If I'm going to shell out that kind of cash for a car, I want it to be... See, I, I have a little bit of a different approach because... You know, the old adage, if you anybody who can afford a Rolls Royce can afford to pay someone to drive it for them. 
And if you look at it through that lens, that means that that car is going to be regularly maintained because it's not somebody that has to take time out of their schedule to find a time to take it to the shop. And it's going to be driven by someone who's concerned about the uh, comfort level of the person riding in the back. So I know the car hasn't been abused. I know it's been well taken care of, and they do not hold their value until you get to the ones that are from, like, the 60s. Yeah, in in that scenario, that would be the deciding factor for me is what's the difference in the cost of a new one and a really well cared for used one. Yeah, and, yeah, I, I don't think we can take a look at that in today's market where I have a, I have a buddy who just put a deposit down on a brand-new truck because it was going to be the exact same price as a used one. Right. The used market's so strong right now. Yeah. Absolutely. So every week when I do a quick Google search for, for cigar news to try to figure out what content we're going to put on the show, convenience store news inevitably pulls up some article that's basically useless. It's basically yeah. just numbers and gobbledygook and all that stuff. So I felt like I owed it to them to do at least one of their stories. Is this is this kind of a pity story for convenience store news? I mean, it is a little bit, but it's interesting to me because Swedish Match is a company that I remember hearing a lot about maybe 10 years ago, 8 years ago, and haven't really heard much for them because they are the distributor for Snooze. For those of you who aren't familiar with what Snooze is, think of it like dip, but it's a little different. It's cut much shorter. And it's held together with a little bit more of a kind of a molassesy type binder. Not sweet in that regard, but it's very popular in Scandinavia. In fact, when I was in chiropractic school, the, we had several Finnish uh, members of my class, and they went wild for the stuff. And rather than just stick a loose bit of, you know, in your cheek, they, they take it between the palms of their hands and they roll it up really tight into a marble and stick it in their top lip. And you just kind of sit there with it. It's not... You know, it's funny. Um, I was talking to somebody before you got here. I'm 45 years old, never been drunk, never smoked an ounce of weed, never smoked of whatever, however weed's made, never had never marijuana, never entered my body. It's right. never one of those things. Never dipped. I've never had chewing tobacco, dip, snuff. None of the smokeless tobacco has ever entered my body. I have an iron stomach. And for those of you who don't, you might want to hit fast forward 30 second button on your on your iPlayer right now. I can be elbows deep in vomit and crap. And I don't run the risk of getting sick. Like that doesn't. Someone dipping right next to me will turn my stomach faster, especially on an airplane. There. Oh my gosh, that is the worst thing in the world. I it's hate it. It's just a disgusting it. habit. It's so disgusting, and it because it smells, and then it's oh, I'm getting sick just thinking about it. Yeah, I've, I've never done it. Never planned to. No. Never, not one of those things I ever planned to do because it's just not my. And I know a lot of people who like when smoking bans started to be a thing, they kind of switched because it was a way for them to you know still have their nicotine fix while they were sitting in a courtroom, and uh, among other places. And I just can't imagine ever needing nicotine that badly. No, at that point, you probably should should evaluate what you got going on in life. Yeah. And uh, I just, I have no idea. So this Winston Churchill, I've never had a cigar that I would call dry, as like a wine is dry. Right. Like a fine wine would be dry. This has a really dry, especially to be a Dominican wrapper, 
a really dry feel to it that I really I'm enjoying. It's some it's giving me something different than what I've encountered in other cigars. So I'm I'm really digging it. Interesting. And uh, but I've never had one that I would call dry till this cigar. But that's really that's kind of the only thing that comes to mind when I talk about smoking this cigar. Yeah, is is kind of that feel. And also. Tampa's first garage condos are coming. Is that all we're talking about the Swedish? But we didn't even talk about the article. We're just talking. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's an article there with Swedish. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. They're separating their cigar business. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, from my memory, uh, they also distribute Villiger. And so, basically, they're separating their combustible tobacco. So, their pipe tobacco, their cigars, and off from the rest the rest of their business. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you brought me back to this because I would have missed something I meant to say about this article. So they their Leaf Cigar portfolio includes Garcia Vega, Game, and 1882. And then White, White Owl is their HTL, their homogenized tobacco leaf product, what we call not really cigars, big right. cigarettes <laughs> and all. Um, but they are separating that out. So do you think this will improve the cigar business or uh, for them, or do you think this will decline? Are they getting ready to sell it? What do you think? I don't know, because it mentions that, uh, you know, both uh, smoke-free tobacco and combustible tobacco products have seen an increase uh, in, you know, sort of profitability and market share uh, for or profitability and sales. Uh, over the past year, and so I think it's a sign that the segment is growing, so it could be that they're just trying to put more focused efforts rather than trying to apply the same principles to somewhat different markets. Well, and the cigar market is very competitive. You better, you, you know, we say it all the time, you cannot produce a good cigar and hope to succeed. Right. You've got to produce, you know, anybody can produce a good cigar. You must produce a great cigar if you hope to succeed. So this is interesting. The Zen brand of nicotine pouches is Swedish Match, and I didn't realize that. Uh, it's funny. Every once in a while, you have to go to Walgreens to get what you need instead of somewhere else. That's pretty, isn't that the only reason anyone ever ends up at Walgreens is because it's 2 a.m. or because you just can't get where you actually yeah. want to go to get whatever it is? And I was at Walgreens, and I real I noticed behind the counter they've got a huge section of that wall dedicated to Zen brand, you know, dip or nicotine pouches or whatever it is. I hadn't really seen it before, but sure enough, the guy in front of me in line bought like four of them. I was like, okay, maybe maybe this is something new. And it's I think it's because it's pouches, right? Instead of loose, maybe it, it combines the it, the, the easy, ease yeah, of the use. convenience. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've never had a desire for it. I just, to me, something just spitting all the time and slobbering just is not in my my wheelhouse of things I would enjoy doing. Oh, okay. and the financial advisor is uh, for the intended spinoff is Goldman Sachs. So what could possibly go wrong there? <laughs> Tampa's first garage condos are coming. So this is a cool idea. So in Tampa. Paddock One has begun construction on a luxury garage condo community. And all at Tampa at Adamo Drive and 34th, for those of you following at home. <laughs> and all, and basically what they're offering is high-end storage for your cars. Now, this is a great idea. You know, how many guys could afford a really nice car but can't necessarily afford a building to keep it in? I don't... It, it's interesting to me because I, 
I wonder about that because I feel like even in some of the hottest markets, in some of the hottest cities, unless you live right in the middle of a city center, I feel like if you can afford the car, you can afford somewhere to keep it. But that becomes a barrier to entry to some people. Not when we're talking about people who are already looking at spending a quarter million dollars on an off-site storage facility for their cars. Okay, but if you're talking about somebody who is buying, say they got on the Ford GT list, and they're getting a Ford GT just to keep it for two years and flip it. You mean they don't have a garage? Right. They don't have... They, they're on the list. They've got the ability to buy the Ford GT. You know, it was, a, it was notorious that people that worked for Ford bought most of the first GTs. Right. Because they could get them at a better deal, and all, and they could keep them from two years and it, for two years and sell them, and it was almost like getting a bonus of sorts. So I can see the I can see the practicality of it. And okay, this picture they got is showing five cars and a lift, so six cars. So you and four buddies get together and split the split the note on two hundred fifty thousand. That's that's not bad. That's a six hundred dollars a month. It still seems like a lot of money to me to be spending on just a place to store your cars. So if you knew you were going to buy a GT for $250,000, and then in two years you were going to sell it for six, and you were going to make four hundred, that doesn't seem like a big... To have a, pl- a quality place to store it like that that's not at your house, that your son's not going to, you know, slide down the hood. <laughs> <laughs> but then at that point... First of all, I don't believe in buying cars as, as investments. I just... I don't believe in doing that personally. So I would never be in that scenario. But you're talking about, you know, turning this car for $400,000 profit in two years. But by time you have spent anywhere from two fifty-five to 345000 on this place and then an additional 85 to 125 per month fees on top of that... All of your profit has been eaten up in the storage of it. Now, you divide it up between four buddies. And uh, you get four buddies and you're paying three. Let's say you're paying the note on 250000 um, on a secondary thing like this. Probably going to be, uh, say it's $2,000 a month. I, I agree with you in, in principle that this is a great idea. I just, I don't understand what the market for this is because even if I were going to be the person who bought a Ford GT for 250 knowing I could sell it for 600 in two years I'm keeping it in the garage of my house right but not everybody you know you live in a condo you don't want to have maintenance you you have the money to travel like I said with the exception of people who are living in the city center where you don't have a garage on your house, for example, so you're living in a condo, something like that. That I understand. But even then, if it's me, I'm buying a little bit of land out from the city and I'm just putting a a metal building on it. Right. But then you've got security issues. You've got monitoring. You've got all this. This is all one place that's well took care of. And, uh, you know, Jay Leno's famous for saying, or David Letterman, Jay Leno or Letterman, one or the other, their car warehouse is right next to the airport because that handles so much of their security. They buy the big warehouses right next to the airport, and that contains a lot of the security for their millions and dollars in cars. Leno. And uh, so I can I can see the practicality of this. I can I, see it working. I, I can too, but it, it also goes, I mean, let's be real. The people who are going to be spending the money to do this are not going to be the people that are worried about how much it costs. I don't know. You, you know, you kind of keep coming back to that. But it reminds me of an exercise. If you write down everything I could do if I had the money, if you make a list in your life, and everybody should, 
if I had the money, I would do A, B, C, and D. You'll be amazed how many of those things you could find the money to do. Yeah, and and I'm and sure uh, I'm not. I guess I guess part of it for me is, and I am a self-professed gearhead. I I absolutely love cars, but I can think of this would be so far down on the list for me. Yeah, and it's, so it's hard for me, you know, to kind of go outside of my proclivities and actually think about this in terms of because the thing is, I, anybody who's ever gone in with a bunch of buddies on something like this will tell you what a bad idea it is because inevitably someone's not going to pay the rent. Someone's not going to... I mean, well, yeah, everybody would have to pay cash up front for if, it to work. If all your buddies are broke. But if, well, you've, if you've reached a certain level of success where this stuff's attainable, you're going to have some friends that have had a certain level of success. Yeah, but even still, there are plenty of people that are successful that are still bad with money. Those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand. So it's very easy that they let their account get too low for the auto draft or you know well, any number of things. We can we can call it one vote for one vote against. Yeah. I mean and it actually reminds me of a movie uh, from a number of years ago where like four, you know, Silicon Valley executives all chip in together, they work the same company, you know, high profile like rich dudes. They buy a condo in downtown uh, San Francisco specifically for basically having a, a guy's pad. You know, a party house. A party house, essentially. And then, and it's all going all well and swimmingly until one of the guys brings his girlfriend back and then something goes wrong, out ODs or he kills her or something like that and it becomes the, now they're all implicated because all of their names are on the, you know. It, it reminds me, like, sure enough, someone's car is going to get stolen and it's going to point to the other guys and then it's going to be, it's Fast and Furious 12. I can see okay, it. Okay, so you, so <laughs> are you using this to argue against my great ideal of the rental man cave? Uh, no, but that was the first thing that came up when you, when you mentioned it. And, uh, well, you know, my great ideal is you get one of these big two-story storage buildings. It's already air-conditioned. It's already conditioned storage. And you rent out man caves so that you don't have to buy a house to have a man cave. If you want to go hang out all day Saturday with your buddies and smoke cigars and watch football and eat, you have a man cave to do that in. See, here's the issue I have with that, is that the reason the man cave, which I hate that term, but I don't know what else you would call it. The reason the man cave rose to popularity is the fact that it was too hard to get out of the house. So, you know, for whatever activities you wanted. So curate a space that you can call your own within your house so that you don't have to leave. You don't have all that travel time and you're not also unaccessible, inaccessible, you know, I love to come to the cigar shop, you know, and there's one just 15 minutes from my house that I hang out a lot. And, but there are times when the wife says, Hey, I'm ready for you to come home. And so the, the man cave solves, solves that problem. You can poke your head in and say, Hey, it's time to do this. Or, Hey, can you do this for me? And, and you're never inaccessible. And so I feel like having an offsite man cave kind of defeats one of the primary purposes for the man cave being within the house. Well, I think it enhances it because then I can't be sitting down there smoking a cigar or watching a football game. It's fourth quarter. It's the two-minute warning, and she comes out and says, hey, are you going to weed eat today or what? Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's more of a, a different different use case kind of thing. I mean. So I can, I can see it. I'll, so I'm, we're going to go to the break. 
I'm going to keep developing this idea. We're going to re- right. we'll revisit it before we're, we sign off. Yeah, tonight. we're going to revisit the. Well, not tonight. I need a couple of days. Let oh, me okay. let me draw up a, a proposal, <laughs> and I'll give me a, give me a week or two, and we will revisit the. I'll set up a call with my VC guys. We'll get it. That's right. We're, we're going. Shane's. You know, I'm going to do a little market research because what is a cigar shop if not a man cave? <laughs> yeah. And so I'll, why do you need to rent a separate one when you've already got one? Because inevitably, because they'll let anybody into a cigar shop. Fair point. It's, it'd be nice to have one that you just didn't let anybody wander in. Because we all have that guy that when you show yeah, up but at you the... you have s- that. It's called your back porch. Sure. But during the winter, it's not as convenient. And it's still too convenient to my house. I, I kind of like the idea. But I'll, I'll, I'll do some research. We will revisit this topic. So we're going to step away for a break. When we come back, I want to talk about LSU and the curses. All right. We'll be back with that and more after this. Back to the cigar cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man who was python hunting in Florida and shot Hulk Hogan, Mr. Trey Dedman. I did not see that story. You don't get it? No. Hulk Hogan was famous. Oh, the, okay, the, yeah, or yeah. the twin 24 inch yeah, pythons. Yeah, okay. You know, that was the Hulk Hogan. Yes. Nothing ruins a joke like having to explain I, it. I'm sorry. I assumed there was a news story you were referencing. All, I wasn't thinking about. All of the guys that are wrestling fans that are laughing right now, you're welcome. All the guys that I had to explain it to start watching wrestling. <laughs> okay. But anyway. All, all of the people that needed that joke explained, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And also, LSU's cigar curse on Auburn broke two weeks ago. And also, being the Halloween season and being as we hit Halloween-y stuff last week, I kind of seen this article. And I was like, yeah, I want to talk about this a little. And also, the article comes from September eighth, nineteen ninety nine, Auburn forty one, LSU seven. To be to be fair, the the article wasn't written in nineteen ninety nine. No, the game that I'm going to reference was <laughs> the way you said it. It was it was ambiguous. Okay, September eighteenth, nineteen ninety nine, Auburn forty one, LSU seven. So Auburn won that game, and the coach handed his players cigars, and they actually fired their cigars up on the LSU field at Death Valley. And this began a cigar curse where Auburn didn't beat LSU again until the year 2021 at Death Valley. Right. And uh, so um, they call you know, it's funny, sports always has these curses, the Billy Goat curse, and I'm sure there's some others. Oh, the curse of the Bambino. Yeah. There's all of, they have all of these What's curses. the Billy Goat curse? The Billy Goat curse and all the Cubs. You don't know the oh, Billy Goat was, curse? It was the, okay, yeah, yeah, They yeah. threw the guy out that actually had the Billy Goat. Right. And all, and, he, and they had the Billy Goat curse was based on that. But um, look up Billy Goat curse. But anyway, <laughs> um, sports has these. And I wonder if this was Auburn trying to make fun of the Tennessee-Alabama cigar tradition where the winning team smokes a cigar? I don't I don't think so. I think cigars have always been associated with victory in sports. I, I don't think this is inherently connected to that. I think this it's a good way to to showcase 
especially in a situation where it was 41 to 7. I mean, that was a beating. Okay, but low-class move, firing it up on the field after you beat the team on their home field, I think that's low-class, low-brow. I, mean, I mean, so, yes, is it the ultimate power move? Of, because, you know, everyone talks about, like, this is our house. We have to defend our house when you're, you know, that's a big sports adage when you're playing a home game. So the idea of somebody coming into your house and then beating you that severely and then gloating about it on field is a power move, but it's a low-class one. Yeah, I, so I like the power move. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm a fan of the power move. And I'll, I like to execute the power move from time to time, and the cigar is a great tool for doing that. But never, you never want to execute it in a way to demean the other person. Right. You, I just want. I don't want the other person to say, "Dang, I can't believe he did that to me." I want the other person to say, "Man, I wish I had that kind of power." I think. I think there's a there's a proper execution of the power move. Yeah. And I think this is just poor sportsmanship. So I'm I'm very very much in favor of that. But that did bring me, being as it's the Halloween season, from Loudwire.com. We never had an article from Loudwire before. We haven't, but it's a great it's a great website for like music news. 13 Rock, Metal, Curses, Myths, and Legends Explained. We're not going to cover all 13, but I, there is some very good ones on there. Of course, the most famous, Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil to master the blues. This has come up multiple times in my life recently. It's weird how these things tend to... Like, I've, I've made references to Robert Johnson probably half a dozen times in the last two months. There was a really good documentary on Netflix about this called The Crossroads, the I Crossroads, think. The Crossroads, that was it. Yep. And I really enjoyed that documentary. So supposedly, he couldn't play guitar, he met the devil at the crossroads, and he sold his soul for the opportunity. Do you know what the devil's instructions were to him after they signed the contract? No. So that's not going to sit well with you, boy. Go inside. Go into town and get you a plate of hot tamales. I didn't know that. And so in Mississippi, it, it, there's actually... It's called the tamale trail. So we think of tamales as being a Mexican food. But like so much traditional ethnic food, it's born out of necessity. You know, it's, it's a lot of cornmeal dough so it, to stretch the meat further. So it's a, it's a poor meal of sorts. Well, it got co-opted in, in lower Mississippi and then spread north, as, but it took on a new flavor as becoming hot tamales. So they're a bit thinner. They're about a, like a cigar, a little bit bigger than a cigar. And they're spicy and they're cooked wet. But it's a, it's a sort of regional delicacy of Mississippi. Not a tamale fan. Oh, you're wrong. I'm not a tamale <laughs> fan. I don't know. Maybe I've never had a good one. Because it seems to me the one I had was so much cornmeal. Yeah. For the amount of meat. Did it was you have not it just it. a random restaurant around I, here? I had it a little Mexican bodega. Yeah. And I was, it was supposed to be an, a very authentic when, one, and it was just too much cornmeal. When, when you head out west to see your folks the next time, let me know before you do, and I will tell you where to go get the best tamales you've ever had in your life. I'm open to try one. I'm open to try good tamales. Now, there is a place here in town, a new Mexican restaurant that opened up. Theirs are very good, and they're, they're packed full of meat. They're not... but. I don't think that would be the place to try and change your mind. Okay. You'll, you'll have to present me with the superior tamale. Yeah. And I'll, then I might could be... Oh, man. When I used to live in Texas, you could go into about 
every other gas station had a little hand-printed sign in the window that said tamales, you know, $5 for a dozen. Someone's abuela would make them every morning, and they'd bring them, and they'd pack them in a styrofoam cooler, and until and they would sell out by, like, 10 a.m. And they What's were the an abuela? A grandmother. Grandmother, okay. I was thinking girlfriend. <laughs> I watched the Many Saints of Newark this weekend, so I was thinking I was thinking the gama <laughs> when you said abuela. But... You know, it's interesting because you talk about selling your soul to the devil. I've always held the theory that Jim Helwig, the ultimate, ultimate warrior, sold his soul to the devil. Why is that? He wasn't a great wrestler. and Had a great shtick, though. Had a great, great gimmick. Character. Great character. Did not conduct his business well. And we, I'm not going to get into a wrestling history lesson about how poorly he conducted business. But he was inducted into the Hall of Fame on Saturday, went to WrestleMania on Sunday, Monday addressed the WWE universe, and Tuesday morning was dead at age of 51. Really? And I've always been convinced that he sold his soul to the devil to be the the biggest name in wrestling. And then, and then, it, and then it, it came time to collect. Yeah. He, once he hit that peak, because he was going nowhere from there. He right. He had already retired at that point. Oh yeah. He he made an epic, epic speech to the WWE fans of everything you love about wrestling. And uh, he was never going to be better than he was that Monday night. And he died that night of massive heart failure. Huh. I think he sold his soul to the devil. That's just my thought. I have believed things with with less evidence. White lighters are cursed. I've never heard that. Have you ever heard this before? Never heard this. I mean, I don't... I mean, a Bic lighter has never been a fixture in my life. So, I mean, it specifically references that. But, I, yeah, I've never heard that white lighters were cursed. And it says, ask any smoker, cigarette, cigar, or otherwise about a white lighter, and you'll be met with wide-eyed stares. If you ask a cigar co- uh, smoker about a white lighter, yes, that'll be a wide-eyed stare of confusion, because yeah. we don't know what you're talking about. They'll have no... So the ur- urban myths located closely connected to the 27 Club. And it's said that if you used a white lighter, you would get busted, you'd have bad fortune, everything. You know, I never play a zero golf ball. I'll never play a Titleist zero. I'll never play. And if my go- if I get a sleeve of balls and they got zeros, I throw them in a pond. Really? Yes, I never play a zero. Why is that? Because it's not round. What? Zeros aren't round. Oh. So I assume the ball isn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's a silly answer, but it's... A, well, any, superstitions often yeah, come su- from superstitions, silly, some silly places. <laughs> superstitions are, by their definition, defy logic. So, white lighters are cursed. Now, it does say that they um, that this may have had basis in the fact that if you use the bottom of a white lighter to pack a bowl, that it would stain, and that would be an indicator to the police that you were smoking something illegal. I'm, I'm also thinking of all of the novelty products I've seen sold in shops before because much like you I've never tried marijuana even once and so it's it's completely outside of my frame of reference but thinking back to to paraphernalia I've seen for sale in novelty shops I'm having a hard time imagining how you would use a big a big lighter seems too big to use for that purpose I have no idea that's so. totally outside of my field of expertise Keith Richards had a full blood replacement. They say that's how he kicked heroin. I remember hearing that. He'd go to Sweden for a full oil change, basically. And if that worked, would we not everybody do that? Well, <laughs> technically it does work. Um, I don't know if that would allow you to kick a heroin habit, but I do know 
that so Lance Armstrong, that's ultimately what he got busted for right, was the blood, blood doping. doping. And what they were doing was not necessarily drugs or steroids. It was a fact that if you pump, if you if you take blood out and separate the plasma from the blood cells in a centrifuge and then put the blood cells back, now you have extra blood cells per volume of blood, which means you can carry more oxygen in the blood to your various parts, and that's how you were able to. So, I mean, there is some, there, like all great myths, there's a, there's a little bit of fact yeah, buried in it. there's a little kernel that makes you think, well, maybe. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to skip ahead a couple unless you have one. Well, you tell me one you really like next. Well, I've always liked the 27 Club. That's where I was going. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because the Alice Cooper thing is whatever. But, yeah, I didn't realize that, I mean, I knew about Cobain and Joplin, Jim Morrison, Hendrix and Winehouse. I didn't know a couple of the others that were on this list. Yeah, Brian Jones. No, who was Brian Jones? Brian Jones was, I want to say Stones, early Stones. Oh, it may have been. And I will have. There's a music guy out there right now yelling at his iPod. <laughs> and I'll Robert Johnson, um, John Morrison. I knew about that. Yes. And founder and original leader of the Rolling Stones. Oh, okay. And uh, so they all made it to 27 and died. So if you're a famous rocker and you're 26, what do you do? Take a year off? Yeah, you, you just you hole up, get Uber Eats. You don't leave the house. You Buy don't one do of those anything. condos in Tampa we talked about earlier. There you go, yeah. <laughs> just stick around there. Um, I like this one. The CIA wrote Scorpions Wins a Change. That's such a terrible, v- terrible song. I believe that the CIA could have wrote it. So before you move on, though, I want to talk about the Twenty Seven Club a little bit because I'm curious. Like, I wonder. You, you know, it's the Twenty Seven Club has such a stigma, but I bet in the pantheon of music, if we were it, just about any age, you could probably find a number of high-profile musicians who had died that it would probably justify. Is this just a product of people? I mean, because at 20, I, I will admit that I was a bit more mature than most 27-year-olds, but I was still stupid at 27. So if you take people at the height of that, that means that they rose to prominence in their early 20s. So you've got all the drugs, all the alcohol, everything. Is it just a matter of being too young to handle the success? Is that why 27? Probably has something to do with it, but I'm, I'm going to throw an extra little wrinkle in this. Um in WWE and Royal Rumble, the Royal Rumble, the 40-man Royal Rumble every year, or 30-man. They had one year it was 40-man, but most years it's 30-man. The most successful number in Royal Rumble history to get drawn to win is number 27. Is it really? Yeah. So just just to link two very obscure things together. That's interesting. <laughs> and I'll, okay, can we talk about the yeah, CIA and the winds yeah. of change? Okay, this was such a terrible song. I don't know how it was ever a hit. And they claimed the CIA wrote it. And, the, okay, I couldn't get out of the article why the CIA would write this song. What did you get? Yeah, it doesn't really... It, and it looks like this sort of myth just surfaced last year. So it's almost, it's almost as if somebody was just looking for something controversial to say. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think they're digging a little bit. I think as we get to these bottom ones, they're really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. Well, it, and, but it, this does tell a little bit. You know, the CIA had already engaged in sponsoring certain cultural events, like the fil- filming of George Orwell's Animal Farm, you know, to be used as anti-red propaganda. And, you know, so I, 
I can see where, you know, and if, if you look at the CIA, kind of their history of meddling in things, like I can see how absolutely, you know, writing a song that, that made it to prominence for some purpose, I can, I can, that holds a little bit of water for me, but I don't know why that song. Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't pick a good song, but okay, we're running on time, so I want to end. The, I want to go ahead and end this because I've got to get to our other topic. Well, well, well done. There we go. And all, how to end the conversation? This is from the Art of Manliness. I seen this article today, and I was so happy. And all because um, we both we've talked about him before. We have a man here at the cigar shop that knows exactly the right time to end a conversation. That is such a superpower. I mean, I have. Like, that is something that so few people know how to do well. Because you run, when ending a conversation, there's a couple, you can either let it go on too long, which is a problem, or you can stop it so abruptly that you leave the people going, well, what did I do to piss him off? So there is an art to, to stepping away when the conversation has run its course, but doing it in such a way that everybody still feels good at the end of it. Well, I like, I hate when somebody's in wrap it up mode. When they're like, okay, uh-huh, yeah, sure. You know, when they get in wrap-it-up mode, I'm done. I, I know the conversation's over, and I, I really prefer a little more tact than the wrap-it-up mode. Well, so here's the thing, though. I have found most of the time when someone gets into wrap-it-up mode, it's because you have, not you specifically, but the other person has missed the subtle cues. You know, it, it happens to me weekly when you know I I hang out and I'm fully engaged when I'm here but usually especially if it's a Friday afternoon if I've got to be somewhere I've got to be somewhere so I start packing all my stuff see y'all later and then someone grabs my arm you know right. metaphorically speaking and wants to or wants to say it's no I I, I have somewhere to be like and you and so it's by missing those subtle cues you kind of you kind of force the person to go. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 So here's some alternatives and all. And I'm I'm kind of you know if there's a part in the front of the article you like, we can come back to it. But so one of their suggestions: use an exit line, just like what you were talking about. I need to get a seat. Use the restroom before the movie starts. I have a question. I want to ask the speaker. I've got to get back to work. I've got a deadline. Those are pretty good. The, the, I've got to get to work. I've got a deadline I need to move, meet before noon is an interesting one because that is really dependent on this. I mean, obviously, I need to get a seat before the movie starts is dependent on location, too. But so often, you know, it, you run into a situation where it's like if if you do have somewhere pressing to be, why are you here? Well, and I don't like I want to make sure to say hello to everyone here. I don't like that one. See, actually, I like that one, and I use that at my wedding a lot. You know, so when you're the the focus of attention at a wedding, i.e., it's your party, you have a certain obligation to say hi to everybody. You know, everyone's going to try and come up to say say hi to you, but obviously, you're busy. You guys, so you try to make the rounds. And so it's really helpful because inevitably everyone wants to talk about the, you know, you're not talking about how your week was. You're talking about that day and specific things. And then inevitably that conversation is going to lull because everyone's said their cliches by that sure. point. So that becomes a perfect, okay, great. You know, I've, we, we've got, we got to keep making the rounds and everyone understands. Everyone totally gets it. And it's a perfect out. Um, if you initiated the conversation, but one out, they suggest, so just wanted to make sure everything was okay. And I'll, I've, I've probably used that one before. 
And I'll probably say, hey, I, saw, I sensed a disturbance in the force with you. Is everything okay? And I'll, and, but now I never use that to get out of a conversation. That's usually the way I start a conversation. Yeah, but, but that's, that's, how you, that's how you book in. I'm a big fan of bookending a conversation. I use this in meetings a lot. So, you know, because it's, it's my job to herd the cats oftentimes. Okay, here's why we're here. You had this question. We, you, we're expecting this from you, yada, yada, yada. And then when, when it's starting to get to that point where no one's talking or it doesn't seem like it's going, okay. So we answered this question. We answered that question. This is what we got. These are our takeaways. Everyone good. Like, I told you what we were going to talk about. I confirm we talked about everything, so there's no reason for us to still be here. Let's go. I'll use that a lot of times to end a meeting. Okay, in summary, I need to do this. You need to do that. We need to do that. We're both very busy. Let's get on with it. Yeah. So, or, you know, hey, thank, and I use this very with – I never use this disingenuously. I always say, thank you for your time. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think so boiling it down to a less professional setting and more of a personal one, I think, yeah. So just want to make sure everything was okay is a perfect way to end a conversation that you started by saying, hey, are you good? Um, so and then they have the classics where you've initiated the conversation and people are not wanting to let you go. Well, it was great catching up with you. And anyway, it was fun to see you again. Man, I'm not, I probably would never use those. It's probably any of my repertoire. Um, this reminds me of something from my childhood, and I'm curious if you ever heard this or if it still applies. It used to be considered rude, or at least I was told it was rude, that if, if you were the person who received the phone call, that it wasn't up to you to determine when the phone call ended. So in other words, if I call you and you answer... Essentially, you're obligated to stay on the phone until I end the conversation. Well, but I think that's went by the wayside with the age of cell phones. Because at any point when you're on a cell phone, you've got the option to say, oh, yeah, I'm going into a bad service area. Yeah. Although that's becoming less and less. Uh, yeah. It, but it's, everyone knows what it, that's an exit line at this point. Sure. Um, you don't have to get the tinfoil by the mic and, and yeah. say, oh, I'm going through a tunnel. Uh, yeah, you know, but, and but was uh, that something? <laughs> was that something just me, or was it? Do I you remember hearing that? Yeah, I never heard that. Oh. And uh, okay, this is a jerk move. I would never do this. Introduce the person to someone else. Hey, this guy's bending my ear off. Let me go over here and pawn him off on somebody else. I hate that idea. I so I didn't really do it for this purpose, but I did do it. I was at a cigar shop recently, and I had been talking to. An old friend of ours, and as well as a regular, separately. And our old friend needed the services of the other guy that, that he does for a living. And so I had told them each separately I was going to put them in touch with each other. And I'm, it just so happens I'm at this shop, and our old friend is talking my ear off, and I'm trying to get work done. And sure enough, the other guy walks in, and I was like, hey, this person, meet that person, that person, this person. Each of you... Uh, and I borrowed a line from Ted Lasso, which I absolutely love. It's, congratulations, you just met a cool person. And then, I, and then I explained that they were the two people that I had been telling each other about, and I walked off. It was brilliant. It was great. Well, that's a, I'll, I'll give you a buy on that one. I'll give you a pass on that one. But don't just pawn them off on somebody to pawn them off. You at least had a little pretense there that you were working with. And I think as long as... As long as it's a situation where you actually genuinely like the person that you're pawning off on the other person, or, or, or you think they legitimately will have a good conversation, it's different. 
when oh. you're talking about there's a particular person who comes in here that we both know that has a really bad habit of just talking regardless of context clues or social cues. Yeah, to pawn that person off on somebody else by steering the conversation, that's kind of a that, that's not really a nice move. And okay, I'm I'm on the fence on this one. I'm going to need a ruling. Get the person to introduce you to someone else. Do you know anyone who's deal with the guys who run? I'm really interested in. Do you know anyone experienced in that? Um, good or bad? They mentioned specifically that this is great for networking type of events, and I think with that context, it's appropriate. It, outside of that, I mean, outside of that, it's it's hard to know that there's going to be anybody in the room who's going to fulfill that unless you already happen to know it. You know, if I were trying to get out of a conversation with you and I was like, hey, do you know anyone who does commercial real estate? Like, that's obviously, I know he's sitting right, right over there. Um, that's kind of a, that's kind of a weird. In a network, I think in a business meeting, anything goes. Yeah. I think a business meeting is a lot more forgiving than a interpersonal event, than a bar mitzvah, wedding, whatever. And I feel like for all of these, you know, exit lines and things like that are always more per- permissible in a business environment because there's kind of an expectation that, you know, we're all on company time, right, so to we're speak. we're on the clock. We're on the clock. We've got stuff to do. If I'm trying to get out of the conversation, I'll, I'll keep it professional, but, like, let's recognize that we both need to move on here. Well, you know, one of my builders, he uses a line that you can only use in a business setting, but it's a great line. He'll Somebody will call him, and he'll answer, and he'll say, stop, 25 words or less, tell me what you need. And that's and he's the boss, so that works out perfectly. You couldn't do that in here, yeah. but as the boss, when, when his superintendent calls him, stop, 25 I, words or less, what do you need? I still think that that's a, that's a really rude move. I, I, if you're the boss, I, I no, it's it's especially rude if you're the boss. It's <laughs> no, I think, I think just as valuable as your time is, your people's time is. And if they need something from you that takes more than twenty five words, I think that's it's basically saying that you're not as important to me as whatever else I've going on because they don't know what you're doing on the other end of the phone. You could be on the back nine for all they know. Well, but he'll say, "I'm in a meeting. What do you need? Twenty five words or less." Gotcha, but. I think I think there are better ways to foster that, which is like uh, one that I really like is if I can't take a call because I'm either on a call or I'm engaged in something, I'll say, I can't talk right now. Send it to me in an email or a text. And that way I, I don't even have to answer the phone to interrupt the meeting that I'm in, but I still let them know that I value whatever their input is, but I can't look at it right this second. In, okay, now this one's one of my favorites. I never considered doing this. I never considered this as an option. So they, in, the art of manliness has enriched my life today. Invite the person to do something with you. And I'll, I'm going to meet the speaker. You want to come? I'm ready for another drink. Want to go to the bar with me? My friend Mike just walked in. Let's go say hi to him. I, I like that. I, I'm, I'm down with that. I think that's a great one. Another thing you can do here that I like is, so invite the person to do something with you. So I've got a couple of friends who um, we all share interests with, you know, varying to varying degrees and things. And so in a group setting, if we're talking about one of those interests, it's really easy to say, hey, let's let's make a plan to go do this thing together. And then if you set the date... If you set the kind of, okay, like next Thursday, yeah, let's meet up wherever next Thursday. Cool. 
that immediately it's like, okay, we've brought this to a close by establishing the follow-up, and it becomes a perfect exit to like, oh, well, why would we keep talking if we're going to see each other in two days? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in for this. And I'll, yeah, that's the next one. Smile, shake hands, make plans. And I'll, so, okay, I want to jump off the article, though, and I want to hear what are some of your great get-out-of-jail-free lines? If you're ready to end a conversation with somebody for whatever reason, what are your what are your great get out of jail free lines? Right now, I've got a really great one, and she's going to kill me when she hears this, because at any point, anybody I'm going to be in a you know prolonged conversation with knows kind of the family status for me right now, and so it's really easy to say, "Hey, when the boss calls, you know, I, I I've got to go do what needs to be done." Right, pregnant wife. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really Granted, great... that's a narrow window. It is a narrow window. Um, <laughs> but then you can, you can also move... I'm, I'm just glossing over that. You can also parlay that forward. Hey, I've got an infant at home. Hey, I've got a two-year-old at home. I think, you, I think you're good up to about age five with that one. I think you got about five years built into that. Yeah, but, but then after five, you've got t-ball practice, you've got soccer practice, you've got hockey practice, you've got whatever it is. You've got the recital, whatever you know. So you can you can milk that. You can for milk a the while. kid, the family, the kid angle. You can milk for a while because most people either either have a family of their own that they understand you wanting to be there, or they at least can appreciate you know. Well, what are the you gonna, idea thereof? What are you going to say? Hey, we're talking here. What do you mean you need to talk to your pregnant wife? Exactly. You know, there, there's no good. There's no good way for them to counter that particular move. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good chess move. Um, you know, I get to use. You know, twice a week, I've got a great one. Hey, I got to go get a podcast started. Hey, I got to. I got to go um, get a poker game started. Yeah. So twice a week in the cigar shop, I have a built-in back end, and I can get the poker game started any time between. 6.30 and 7. And I'll, I can use that. Hey, I got to go count out chips. Hey, I got to get tables set up. I got to get a head count. You know, I, I can kind of use that one. That kind of frees up my Tuesdays, which are always busy enough. And then, hey, I got to get, you know, I've been in here a number of times with somebody and I find myself trapped in a conversation and your vehicle pulls up. Oh, there's Trey. I got to run and get the equipment and get the podcast set up. Is that what up. happened tonight? Oh, no, no. He and I were having fun. It was just interesting because I, I, I looked down to return an email for work. And I look up, and you were in here setting the equipment up. I was like, oh, he's Johnny on the spot today. <laughs> and I, no, no, really enjoyed. Well, that car looks like a cannonball just hit the side of it. But anyway, um, sorry, I'm ADD, a, a car with a perfectly cannonball-shaped hole in the door just pulled up. Something that this article, and we'll wrap this up because we're, we're getting long on time. Something that, that this article does not touch on, and it surprises me, because I know your stance on the Irish goodbye. You are very pro-Irish goodbye. In the proper c- scenarios. Yeah. But it, I'm interested that this doesn't, this doesn't touch on that, because it can be appropriate. And I guess they kind of touch on it with um, bow out when others join the conversations. You're talking to somebody, someone else walks up, and you just use that as your opportunity to split without having to say anything. The Irish goodbye is best used. You know, my, my number one Irish goodbye time is weddings. Mm-hmm. That's the number one time that we just slowly fade off into the distance and, and disappear. And all, and all my friends have been schooled when somebody says, where's Shane? I've seen him a few minutes ago. Don't care right. if you ain't seen me in three hours. I expected you to say I've seen him a few minutes ago. <laughs> and all. But, um, you know, in massive social gatherings, the Irish goodbye is completely acceptable. 
in a more interpersonal, it's kind of kind of rude. You you got to use the Irish goodbye sparingly. It, it's a dozen people or more. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll put the uh, let's say eight. I'll put the bar at eight. Eight or more. Eight, eight's small. Because yeah. if you're with your spouse, that means you have cut by leaving. You've cut the entire group by twenty five percent. That's a noticeable margin. So so is it a margin then? What margin? So you, yeah. When you're less than fifteen percent of the whole, you can you can utilize the Irish goodbye. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Okay, well, I'll be I'll be doing a lot of math in the future. <laughs> Thanks, Trey. <laughs> when I see you in the corner with your calculator on your phone pulled up, I'll know what's yeah. happening. All right, if one more person joins, I can Irish goodbye this sucker. <laughs> And I'll, so how do they get a hold of us, Trey? Hey, that's one way to end the conversation. <laughs> you can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and email info at the cigarcast.com. So the Davidoff Winston Churchill, best Davidoff I've ever smoked. Wow. Um, I, I have had one of the, not that particular size, or but the Winston Churchill, yes, they are fantastic. The significance of this cigar is not lost on me. And I'll, I might have to smoke one in the wild sometime to really give it the most honest of reviews. But the amount of care this gentleman put into get procuring this cigar and bringing it back for me does add to the enjoyment of the cigar for me. Yeah. But still, just an excellent cigar. Layers of flavor, very dry. Um, if Davidoff did this on all their cigars, they could compete with Padron. Okay. So and gold medal? Six and a half. Solid six and a half. I can't do a seven. It could get to a seven if I smoked one in the wild. Yeah, I get but that. But in this scenario, I can't in good conscience put a seven on it. All and right. I'll, what's yours? Uh, mine's about a five. I, I have not liked the way this thing is drawn for me. Like, I'm barely getting any smoke out of it because I'm really having to get after it to get get smoke out of it. So I can give it a five. You try another one? I'll try another one. Okay. Yeah, a five, five with an ostrich of I'll try another one. Yeah. Probably well worth it because that's about a six for me. Those are about a six in my my register. They're probably not never going to get under a six and never going to get over a six. Yeah, because the thing is, I'm having to draw so hard to get any smoke out of it that I'm I'm not able to let the smoke sit in my mouth and really taste it. So flavor-wise, I'm not really getting much. Right. I, I can tell it's trying to be there, but I just can't get it out. Yeah, you just you grab the grab the dud out of the box. Yeah, it happens. It happens. It's a, they're they're a artisanal product that will happen Mm. well thank you everybody for listening to us this week until next week have a great cigar and think well of us